For the next several Wednesday nights, we are going to be studying together from the book of Proverbs, uh, not necessarily verse by verse, starting in chapter 1 and going all the way through chapter 31, uh, but we're going to be picking and choosing a few select Proverbs to look at. You may know if you've read the book that uh, oftentimes a whole chapter may be filled with 20 or 30 separate individual Proverbs that really can stand alone and be understood alone a verse or two at a time and so that's how we're going to look at them not the whole book but just a handful of them selected from the book ones that I thought would be helpful to our particular congregation you may know uh, that the book of Proverbs is known as the Bible's book of wisdom wisdom that's what the book really is all about William Arnott a pastor from centuries gone by has called the book laws from heaven for life on earth And I think that's helpful. The Bible's how-to manual is perhaps another way that we could describe the book of Proverbs. What it really is, if you read it from beginning to end, you realize that it is a father's instructions to his son how to live wisely. The father is Solomon. He's writing to his son perhaps as he is coming of age and becoming a man, preparing to be king, but preparing simply to be a man. And Solomon wants him to be a wise man. And so Solomon in this book lays out all sorts of instructions. He gives him wisdom about how to handle money. He speaks to his son about wise decision making. He gives instructions about marriage and about parenting. He teaches his son the value of hard work. He teaches his son wisdom about true religion and about true friendship, about discipline, and so on. And so, as we look at the book of Proverbs, we're going to think of the book as Solomon wrote it, and as God thinks of it, and that is words to the wise. And as we begin studying these words to the wise, as we begin studying the book of Proverbs, naturally, now I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. That's right, the book of Job. Specifically, I want to encourage you to turn to the 28th chapter of Job. Job 28. And I want to read you this chapter because I believe it is a wonderful introduction to the topic of wisdom. If we think about words to the wise, if we're going to tackle the Bible's book of wisdom, Job chapter 28 is one of the great Bible chapters on wisdom. And I think it will be a helpful introduction to the topic of wisdom to our need to search for it, and to the book of Proverbs. So read Job 28 with me. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock and gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth, from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the base, the mountains at the base, He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. 
But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and Death say, with our ears, we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. This is one of the great Bible chapters on the subject of wisdom. And it's great partially because of the wonderful word pictures that it gives us, these images that capture the imagination, men dangling from ropes miles below the surface of the earth in search of sapphires and gold, and how wisdom is far more valuable than whole treasure chests full of gold and whole mines full of onyx and sapphire and silver. And it's also one of the great Bible chapters on the subject of wisdom because in verse 28 we find the greatest biblical summary statement on wisdom. And if it's the greatest biblical summary statement, then it's simply the greatest statement on wisdom. Namely, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Job chapter 28 almost sounds like it belongs in the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? Wisdom. How valuable it is and how we ought to search for it and where it comes from. It sounds like Proverbs. And so we're going to use this chapter to introduce us to Proverbs and to the Lord's wisdom. And I want you to think this chapter through with me really just under three headings. If you read these 28 verses, you can divide them, I think, into three sections or outline them under three headings. And the first is simply this, man's ingenuity, verses 1 through 12, man's ingenuity. What Job is saying in these first 12 verses is, look at the lengths to which men will go to obtain silver and copper and gold and iron in verses 1 and 2. And we might add, look at the lengths to which men and women will go today to obtain coal and oil and natural gas. And in some places of the world, they go to great lengths to obtain clean water. Look at what man will do, Job says. Great feats of engineering. That's what he's describing here, isn't it? 
In verse 3, he describes how men, against all odds, with limited oxygen at the bottom of a mine shaft, can find a way to make light. Man, verse 3, puts an end to darkness. And to the farthest limit, he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He goes to the bottom of the shaft where oxygen is scarce, where it doesn't seem possible to have a fire. And in these ancient days, 4,000 years ago, men found way to put darkness aside, to put an end to darkness and to light a match, to light a fire in the bottom of that shaft so that they could get what they were looking for. And then he describes in verse 10, and we can imagine how difficult this was with just simple tools, pickaxes and shovels and wedges and so on. He describes these men channeling through the rocks, digging tunnels, digging trenches, digging shafts down into the earth to get at the treasure. And then in verse 11, even more amazing perhaps, he dams up the streams from flowing. I think what Job is describing here is how sometimes when you shaft down to the bottom of the mine and underneath the surface of the earth, there are underground bodies of water, underground rivers. And in order to do what you need to do in order to make the mine safe and to get to the jewels, sometimes underground you have to dam up the river or make the river run a different course, move the water around. And even in these ancient days, people were finding ways underneath the surface of the earth, thousands of feet below, to dam up rivers and to make it possible to bring the jewels to the surface. Now today, of course, we accomplish these engineering marvels somewhat differently. We dig mines differently. We bring light to the bottom of them in different ways. We handle the water problems differently. But still, even today, to dig a mine and search for coal or whatever it may be, we know requires incredible manpower and incredible foresight, incredible learning, and incredible care. And we could add to Job's observations about mining our own observations about the amazing ingenuity and feats of engineering and scientific know-how involved in things like jet travel. All the things that have to go right from the making of the jet, from its working parts that have to be checked regularly, the people who have to fly it, the people who have to fuel it, the people who have to do the air traffic control. All of these things have to come together and work flawlessly or there's great disaster. And yet men have found a way to do it. Cell phone technology. People are able to speak to one another in the midst of jungles in the middle of Africa on cell phones. And here in the United States as well, men have found a way to do it. Medical advance, all the cures that have been found through the years for all the diseases that once wiped out populations. And men have found a way to do it. Internet communication and the list could go on. What Job is saying and what we can observe in our own day is what energy, what time, what money, what willpower mankind pours in to discovery and to research and to profit and to new and improved ways of doing things. What time and energy and money and willpower people pour into these things. And we are so thankful for so much of it, aren't we? We're thankful for penicillin. We're thankful for cell phones. We're thankful for jets. Mankind has accomplished great things by his ingenuity. And he does so 
Job points out to us, sometimes at great risk and extremity. Isn't that what we find here? Men dangling in verse 4, thousands of feet below the surface of the earth. Men turning up the roots of the mountains, as it were, in verse 9. Just as they do today. Sticking the wedge into the side of the mountain or putting the pickaxe to the rock and breaking apart these rocks far below the surface of the earth. And in many ways, never quite knowing for sure when the next overturned rock may cause the shaft to collapse or the roof to cave in. That's what's happening in Job, and that's what happens in our day. And yet to these miners, it's worth it. It's worth it. And we could say the same thing about coal miners today or military men who put themselves at risk today because the goal is worth it. Or oil rig workers who go out miles out into the Gulf of Mexico and spend Weeks there apart from their families in extreme weather at times and not knowing if a storm comes, if they'll be able to escape when they need to. Astronauts who catapult themselves thousands of miles into outer space. I can't imagine the risk and the extremity involved in that kind of discovery. And yet it's worth it to them. Even water workers in Nigeria, these men who have helped us by digging 300-foot deep boreholes by hand and sliding down in there with just a rope and a long tube that blows oxygen that they suck on every few seconds. And sometimes the boreholes collapse on men like that. And yet people find these things worth it. Why do people risk so much? Why do people do it? Why do people work so hard and go to such extremity, even if there's not danger? Why do people give so much of their time, sacrifice so much of their energy? Well, because they have great passion. The reason why people are willing to think so hard or expend so much energy or run such risk whether we're talking about mining or medicine or communication or whatever it may be, the reason why people are willing to think so hard and expend so much energy and run such risk is because they have a great desire, verse 11b, as these miners do, to bring things out to the light. That was the point that Job was making. That is the point that he's making to us, that God by the Holy Spirit is making to us. People are willing to go down and swing from ropes thousands of feet below the surface of the earth. They're willing to figure out how to dam up the rivers and how to break apart the rocks and how to dig these tunnels because they want to go down into the mine and they want to find sapphires and gold, verse 11, and they want to bring them out to the light. That's the whole reason why discovery happens. People want to go into the mine and bring things out to light. People want to go there and bring to light sapphires and gold. People want to go into a laboratory and bring to light a cure for Lyme's disease. People want to go into a borehole and bring out to the light a bucket of fresh water. For this kind of discovery, for this kind of achievement, for this kind of advance, and for this kind of satisfaction, in our day and in Job's, men will spend millions of dollars and years in university, 
thousands of hours of tedious work. The best of their mental energies. Men and women will spend all of these things. And we owe many of them, as we said, a great debt for the things that they've brought to light. To make discovery and to achieve and to advance. Men and women will wager sometimes their safety and their health and their leisure prospects and the best years of their lives to be able to bring to light the next great thing from the mine or the lab or the polar ice caps or the the red dust of Mars or the computer chip or whatever it may be. People are willing to do amazing things if they can just bring out of the mind whatever it is that they're aiming for. And most of us can relate to this. I realize that most of us are not on the cutting edge of discovery, but we all make similar kinds of commitments. We all are willing to pour hours and energy and time and sweat and tears into that which we think is valuable, into that which we want to bring up out of the mind that God has placed before us. Think of the farmer and the sweat and the hours that he spends to get food from the soil. Think of the father and the hours and the energy that he puts in to put food on his table. The mother, think of the tears and the time and the energy and the gray hairs that go into feeding and training and nurturing her children. She gives her life to that. Think of the student and the hours he puts in to get his degree. Think of the young doctor and the years he spends preparing to pass his boards and then once he passes them to earn his stripes in the medical community. Think of the teacher And all the time that she puts in and the fretting that she does at home to make sure, as the saying goes, that no child is left behind. All the energy, all the time, all of the sweat that people put in in order to bring whatever it is that satisfies them, whatever it is that they think is valuable, to bring it to the surface, to bring it to light, 11b. That's what Job is talking about. Men and women all over the world throughout history have been willing to go down into the mind and dig and dig and dig to achieve and to advance and to do what it is that they feel is so important. And all these things that we've mentioned tonight are good and honorable. Farming, fathering, mothering, study, medicine, teaching. All of these things are so helpful to us. And these are things that we should pour our energy and our time and our sweat and our care into. But the question that Job then seems to ask in verse 12 is, if men and women will dangle thousands of feet below the surface of the earth, if men will give the best hours of their day, if women will give so much of their lives to their children, if people will spend so much money and time on medical advance, all good things, if we are willing to do that, who, verse 12, will go to such lengths to find wisdom? Is there anyone who will go to such lengths to get understanding, to know God? Who is willing to expend large amounts of time and hard work and sweat and mental energy to get a heart of wisdom? 
to really know God. Are you? Am I? Surely if anyone ought to be willing to get the pickaxe, as it were, and to dangle and to dig and to go to extremity to know God, surely it would be us, the people who are His followers. And over the coming weeks, we're going to need to marshal our mental energy and our spiritual concern and our God-given willpower to mine as much wisdom as we can from this book of Proverbs. We're going to need to be willing to pick up our space, to pick up our pieces, to pick up the wedges, and to dig deep. We're going to need to be willing to come diligently. We're going to be will, need to be willing to listen carefully, to think hard, to work and labor at application. In other words, not just to come and listen and think, but then to go home and to labor, to put into practice what God teaches us. And in all these things, we're going to be willing, need to be willing to pick up the spades of prayer and to work hard in prayer, asking God to help us get it. And once we've gotten it, to put it into practice. We're going to have to be willing to join the men of Job 28.3, searching the mind of the Scriptures to the farthest limit so that what is hidden in verse 11, so that what is hidden in the Scriptures, so that what is there for us to extract, so that the jewels that God has for us in His Word, we might bring out to the light. And we must not only mine this way on Wednesdays and on Sundays, but on our own as well. In our daily Bible readings, all of us are so fortunate to have the Bible in our hands. It's like having a gold mine in our backyards. That's what we have in these scriptures, in this wisdom on paper that God has given us. And we need to be willing to dig and dig and drop shafts down into the middle of God's Word and go deep and pull out what we can. So I'd simply ask you, are you a Job 28 kind of Christian? Are you? Are you mining the Scriptures in search of wisdom? Are you digging deep into the Scriptures both as you read and as you listen so that you might know God. And if you haven't been doing that yet, are you willing to? Would you begin to? Would you begin to become a Job 28 Christian? If you do, you're going to find that the mine of wisdom is a deeper mine. That's the second main heading. A deeper Mine, verses 13 through 22. What do I mean by that? A deeper mind. Well, what I mean is that the mine of wisdom is going to prove far deeper than any coal shaft or copper mine or oil field could ever be. Far deeper. And in a couple of different senses. First, 
I want you to notice that Job teaches us that the mine of wisdom is deeper than any other mine, deeper than any silver mine, deeper than the roots of the mountains from which these men are pulling out sapphires. The mine of wisdom is deeper than any other mine, first of all, because wisdom's jewels are so valuable. The mine is deeper in the sense that wisdom's jewels are so valuable. That wisdom, which is hidden in the Scriptures and is brought to light out of the Scriptures, is of art that understands, for instance, a right valuation of money, that understands true love, a mind and heart that understands true friendship, a mind and heart that understands an religion, cannot be valued, verse 16, in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or in sapphire. Wisdom cannot be valued in gold and in sapphire. And our final is cross. Knowledge of God cannot be gained simply by putting our heads together. Simply by gathering the best and the brightest all into one room and thinking about what wisdom is. found in the land of the living. It's not found by man's ingenuity. So then, well might we ask, verse 21, where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 20, I should have said. Where then does wisdom come from? If it doesn't come from man's ingenuity, if it doesn't come from us putting our heads together, if it's not guaranteed simply by hard work and study and discipline, Where does it come from? Where is the place of understanding? And that question brings us to our final main point. We thought about man's ingenuity in verses 1 through 12. We said that wisdom is a deeper mind. Verse 13 through verse 22. And finally, we need to look at the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom. Verses 23 to 28. Verse 12 asks the same question that verse 20 has just asked us. Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 20, where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Answer, verse 23, God understands its way and He knows its place. It's really that simple, isn't it? True wisdom... True wisdom, that is, understanding that will comfort us on the deathbed. Understanding that leads to life eternal. Understanding that makes a man right with God. Understanding that helps a man live right before God. True wisdom is not found in the land of the living. It is not found by any earthly means. True wisdom, verse 23, comes from God. God understands its way and He knows its place. If we want wisdom, we don't find it in a mind. We don't find it in human ingenuity at all. If we want wisdom, we go to God. There's a mind for silver, verse 1, and there's a place where they refine gold. And iron, you can find that in the dust, verse 2. And copper, you can find that smelted from the rock. 
But where's the source of wisdom? Not in any of those places. The source of wisdom is to go to God. He understands its way. He knows where the mine of wisdom is. God is the source of wisdom. God is the one who created all those things which we mine from the depths of the earth, isn't he? The sapphire and the gold and the jewels. God is the one who created all those things that we study under the microscope and that we look for in the telescope and that we listen to in the stethoscope. God created all those things. God knows how they work. God understands those things. That's the point of verses 24 and following. God looks out over all the creation and he understands how it works. We're still trying to figure it out. That's why we dig. That's why we study. That's why we go into the lab and we go into the library. But God knows all these things because God is the giver of wisdom. Indeed, God is wisdom itself. Surely, if God knows how the whole earth works, then he is the source of our wisdom. We cannot get wisdom in the land of the living. We cannot get it on our own. We get it from God. That is to say that true wisdom comes not simply when we search for reality, but when God reveals it. When God uncovers it. Now, as an aside, that's why all that work in the laboratory or in the library can be of real value. A person may spend all his life searching for a cure for cancer. And he may, by his own ingenuity, find a cure for cancer. But he will not necessarily have gained any wisdom. But if that scientist fears the Lord, if, while he is searching for the cure for cancer, he at one and the same time is submitting himself to God and his ways, then his research becomes worship. Then his experiments become studies of Genesis 1, for instance. He's looking for a cure for cancer and he has all of these human cells under the microscope or human bodies that he's examining and he's not simply anymore examining human bodies and looking for a cure for cancer. He's examining human bodies and looking for a cure for cancer and at the same time he is seeing Genesis 1 lived out which says that man has been made in the image of God and he's looking at how the body works and he's seeing Genesis 1 lived out before him. And then he goes into the laboratory and he puts under the microscope these cancer cells, these devious cells, these cells that destroy. And he says to himself, I've got to find a cure for this. But he doesn't just say, I have to find a cure for this. He says to himself, this is Genesis 3 being lived out underneath my microscope. Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, God put a curse on the world, bringing disease and sickness into the world, and I'm looking at it underneath my microscope. Do you see? The scientist can learn and learn and learn, and he can accomplish great things and not necessarily be wise. Or he can learn and learn and learn and accomplish great things and submit himself to God in the midst of all that. Fear the Lord in the midst of all that and be wise. 
If God reveals himself to the scientist or to the miner or to the teacher or to the stay-at-home mom or to the factory worker or to the pastor, then they begin to understand. Then the cancer or the difficult, strong-willed child or the learning disability or the moon dust or the co-worker who can't seem to get his mind around the gospel or the passage of Scripture, whatever it may be that we're applying our energy to, it all begins to make eternal sense if we submit ourselves to God and if He reveals Himself to us. Everything begins to make sense. Everything that we put our hand to becomes worship. The work, the study, the sweat, the ingenuity, it all becomes worship. And all of it leads not merely to knowledge, but to knowledge and to knowledge of God, which is wisdom. Now, I mentioned the pastor making sense of the passage of Scripture intentionally. I grouped the pastor and his digging intentionally with the scientist and his digging and the teacher and her digging and the mom and her digging. And the reason is because just like the scientist and the teacher and the mom who dig and dig and dig and who may dig and discover knowledge but never come to true wisdom, so it's true of the pastor as he digs and digs and digs in the Bible. Just because you study the Bible doesn't necessarily make you wise. Because even though the Bible is truth itself, even though the Bible is truth without mixture of error, even though the Bible is God's wisdom given to us on paper and ink, it is still possible for a person to read the Bible and understand the Bible mentally and be able to explain it even to others and still to be without wisdom. Why? How can someone study the Bible, know the Bible, be able to explain the Bible to others, the Bible which is the source of wisdom, God who is the source of wisdom, how can we understand His Word and be able to explain His Word to others and still not be wise ourselves? Well, verse 28 explains. Because wisdom does not come merely from knowing the Bible or even knowing the Bible well. Wisdom comes... As we fear the Lord. Now it's true that if we're going to fear the Lord, if we're going to be wise, we must know the Bible. Surely, we must know the Bible. But wisdom doesn't consist merely in knowing the Bible. Lots of people know the Bible and aren't wise. That's why Job reminds us that it's the fear of the Lord That is wisdom. Wisdom comes not just from knowing the Bible, but from fearing the Lord of the Bible. Not just from knowing the Scriptures, but from fearing the One who wrote them. Loving Him. Desiring to please Him. Preferring His ways above our ways and above all ways. Obeying Him. Trusting Him. Believing His Gospel. Placing our faith in His Son. These are what it means to fear the Lord. And we can know all about the Bible without obeying, without loving, without desiring, without believing, without trusting, without preferring God over all others. 
We can know the Bible without fearing the Lord. But it is the fear of the Lord, verse 28. That is wisdom. So let me ask you, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Really? I hope you do, but it's a good question to ask yourself now and again, isn't it? Do you fear the Lord? If you do, then whether you work at NASA or Napa, you will have true wisdom. Whether you have a PhD or a GED, you will have true wisdom. Wisdom that the rocket scientist may not have. Wisdom that the doctor may not have. Wisdom that the teacher may not have. Wisdom that the pastor may not have. If you truly fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? If so, let me say something else to you. If you fear the Lord, let me remind you of what Paul says in Romans 3.18. He says it about mankind in general, and therefore he says it about you and about me. Do you fear the Lord? Paul reminds us in Romans 3.18 that by nature, by nature there is no fear of God before our eyes. By nature, we don't fear the Lord. By nature, we don't love God. By nature, we don't desire to please Him. By nature, we don't prefer His ways above our own or anyone else's. By nature, we don't obey His Word. By nature, we don't believe in the Gospel of Jesus. By nature, we do not fear God. There is no fear of God before our eyes when we come out of our mother's wombs and as we grow up, unless we encounter Christ and are changed. By nature, we don't fear the Lord. And yet, Job says, the fear of God is wisdom. So, if the fear of God is wisdom, Job 28, 28, and if by nature we do not fear God, Romans 3, 18, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us saying what we've been saying all along. Namely, that if any of us has a heart of wisdom, if any one of us truly does fear the Lord, If any one of us is wise, we didn't get there by our own ingenuity. Because in our own ingenuity, in our own natural self, we do not fear God. And therefore, by our own ingenuity, in our own natural state, we do not have wisdom. There's no fear of God before the natural man's eyes. And the fear of God is wisdom. And so the natural man has no wisdom. We were born into this world fools, not wise people. And if we've become wise, it wasn't by our own ingenuity or by our own nature. Do you see? God alone is the source of our wisdom. And what this means is that if we are to gain wisdom then we need God Himself to intervene in our lives. And if we have gained wisdom, it's because God Himself has intervened in our lives. If we are to gain wisdom, we need God to intervene. We need Him initially to breathe new life into us, to give us, verse 28a, the fear of the Lord. And if 
We are to gain wisdom. We need God to continually renew our minds to help us. Verse 28b, to depart from evil. We need God to initiate this fear of the Lord in us and we need God to breathe upon us so that it continues. In short, if we are going to have wisdom, we need God to intervene in such a way that we come to know Jesus, that we come to be born again so that we can fear God. And if we're going to have wisdom, we need God to help us become more like Jesus, to be continually renewed in our minds so that we do turn from evil. If we're to have true wisdom, we need God to intervene. Only God Himself can give us the fear of the Lord and help us to depart from evil. But practically, it must be said that God always does these things through the Bible. God always introduces us to Jesus through the Scriptures. He always creates new life in us through the Scriptures. He always breathes into us the fear of the Lord through the Scriptures. He always renews our minds through the Scriptures. He always gives us incentive and motivation and power to depart from evil through the Scriptures. That is... He always causes us to fear the Lord and to to be therefore truly wise through the Scriptures. Remember we said we needed to be born again. We need God to breathe new life into us so that we fear the Lord if we're to be truly wise. And how does God breathe new life into us? Well, 1 Peter 1.23, You have been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. If God's going to breathe this life into you, if He's going to breathe into you this new being that fears the Lord, He will do it through the living and enduring Word of God. And we said we don't just need to have new life, but we need to have our minds continually renewed as well so that we keep fearing the Lord and we depart from evil. So that we grow. And how do we grow? Well, 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We grow. We continue in the fear of the Lord. We learn how to depart from evil. We become more like Jesus. We become wise as we take in the pure milk of the Word. So... Yes, it's true that a mere knowledge of the Bible doesn't mean that you'll necessarily fear the Lord. A mere knowledge of the Scriptures doesn't mean that you'll necessarily get for yourself a heart of wisdom. But you'll surely never get a heart of wisdom if you neglect the Scriptures. For it's only as you mine the Bible's truth, as you, as Job describes, channel through its rocks, as you overturn the mountains at their base, as you dig deep into the Scriptures and root around and dig around and see what you can find, as you mull over what you read, and as you ruminate and think on and apply what you hear, it's only then that God grants life. It's only then that God continues to breed in you this fear of the Lord. It's only in the Scriptures that God imparts wisdom. God does not impart new spiritual life and He does not nurture and grow new spiritual life. He does not give us, in other words, the fear of the Lord in any other way but through 
the scriptures which give us the message of His Son, sinless, dying in our place, rising on our behalf, wooing us to Himself. We get that through the Scriptures. We get wisdom. We get fear of the Lord through the Scriptures. And that brings us full circle in Job 28, doesn't it? I conclude by saying again what I said at the beginning. You must mine the Word of God. You must dig for its treasures. You must drop shafts down into the middle of the Bible and go deep and pull up what you can. You must channel through its rocks. You must search the Scriptures out with all the diligence of a miner. You must, if I can say it reverently, search out the Scriptures with all the diligence of a greedy miner who wants to lay his fingers on every little jewel that he can find. Do you read the Scriptures that way? I confess that often I don't, but I should if I want a heart of wisdom, and so should you. It's only in the mind of Holy Scripture, studied with God's supernatural help, studied carefully, searched out to its furthest limit, verse 3, applied in the fear of the Lord. It's only in the Scriptures that you will find what is hidden and bring it out to light. It's only in the Scriptures, mind in the fear of the Lord, that you will turn up true wisdom.